Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. These pants spark joy. I never want to take them off. I do everything in them. Rock climb, fish, mm-hmm. sleep, run. This is the most targeted yep. marketing experience in the world. <laughs> They're selling to people. This is what this guy does, and they want you to buy your articulated knees for rock climb, fish, sleep and run what do you think he i don't drives? do any of those things so he drives oh, a subaru 100%. i don't do any of these things <laughs> this is general george washington and you're listening to the tony kornheiser show i have to say i'd never heard the phrase articulated knees before i just that's totally new to me god bless ll bean for making up these quotes and making up these people they didn't make up the <laughs> city but they make up everything You're else. still talking about it michael is here i'm here we have a lot to go over in the morning but something happened just a few minutes ago that really changed the beginning it changes the open nigel why don't you describe what's going wrong with your car and what happened as a result of that yes i want to advertise the fact that my door is having problems closing for those in my neighborhood to come by and rifle through my auto um i don't know what happened i was at bethesda bagels and I, I, I was driving away and I started, you know, you heard sort of the sounds of the outside world. And I looked down and the door was not closing. So then I could right. not. Let's not blame the a, bagel place. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that there's the bagel had anything to do with it. Um, so I was driving with one hand on the wheel and the other hand holding the door shut. Very much like Christian Bale and Ford versus Ferrari and his first great lap movie. of the Mons. Yes. Great, great movie. movie. Unfortunately, I didn't have a pit crew member to come by with a big hammer and just pound it shut. <clears throat> Um, yeah. So, unfortunately, whilst I was driving from Bethesda Bagels to your place, um, the bag of bagels must have tipped over, and one of the plain bagels um, fell out onto uh, the floor. So, and now. I did not see that. So, I shorted you one bagel, which I understand was actually going to be the Hammer's bagel today. So, Dude, the plain bagels go to Bootsy and the Hammer. Yes, they so go to Bootsy apologies. and the Hammer. Michael, how do you feel about the boys? This? Look forward to that plain bagel with butter every <laughs> afternoon, yeah. Nigel. Yeah. So now they have to go without. So, uh, and you're saying to me that that the bagel bag that you handed me, you did not know at that time that you had failed to get the complete complement of bagels at that time. You did not know that. I was unaware of that until I uh, until as. And then you saw home. this bagel laying on the ground in your car. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, are we to believe the rest of the bagels are safe? Yeah. How do we know that? How do we know any of these things? Well, of course the rest of the bagels are safe. If they'd all fall on the floor, I would have have said, don't eat these. Yes. So my apologies. safe, though. I want to hear you eat that bagel before the bagel (laughs) eat at the close. (laughs) It's already in the bed. No cream cheese, no jam, no nothing. (laughs) Right. Can't even toast it. Jolene Wojcik sent us stuff from the Masters. She said, Mr. Tony, you can never... Say again, it's from Jolene in Nebraska who goes to the Masters every year because I did not go to the Masters this year. My name was not chosen to be among the select few that were allowed to attend. I thought about calling Augusta National saying, do you know who I am? But obviously that wouldn't have gotten me very far. Here are a few items for you and Michael to enjoy. Next year's Masters will be the week after my daughter's wedding. Going, going to be a very special April in 2022. Jolene Wojcik. What, what, what was in the box? Well, open the box, but look at the note card. It looks the like it is a branch is of Forsythia, for which could be an homage it to says Golden Bell. Bell. It says Golden Bell, hole number 12. It says that on the card. It's a beautiful card. We got some cups, oh, which is yes. always nice. Yes. What the else is in cups. here? We got, oh, we've got popcorn. Masters popcorn. Oh, Taste of the Georgia Masters. Georgia pecan caramel popcorn. Well, Carol's going to eat that. No, no, she's not. 
I'm going to eat that and you're going to eat that. So that's lovely. Thank you, Jolene. We got a lovely note from um, Dave Spector who runs Bells Up. The two wineries that we talk about all the time that we recommend um, in, in the state of Oregon are Willamette Valley Vineyards, where Duska Jensen is the ambassador of wine, and Bells Up, where Dave Spector is the guy, is the Vinter, is that what it would yes. be called, the Vinter? And he writes, so there's a commercial running in the greater Portland area for a car dealer offering a dog washing station for their service customers while they wait. I'll give you three guesses as to the dealer brand, but you'll only need one. Yes, you can add my dog is cleaner than yours to the list of things that Subaru drivers can boast to the rest of us plebes. Anyway, it's a new year and time for tribute to be paid. And he sent some wine, which is really, really nice. And he sent it to Michael's house, and Michael uh, took some wine out. Oh, which yes, he we, should. Yeah, which we are. Uh, fine. Yes. That's very, very nice. We already sifted through the wine and made our selections. Very nice. So that's good. Uh, and then Michael brought some over here. Um, you're going to expect me to comment on the Derek Chauvin verdict, and I'm going to be very clear on this and very brief on this. Justice was done. This is. I don't think. I don't think people should be celebrated for doing the right thing all the time. This was to me an open and shut case of murder. I kept his knee on the guy's neck for over nine minutes, and the guy died. And I thought that the particular summation line, in which somebody said the defense is trying to say that George Floyd died of too big a heart, and he said when what is true is that the defendant had too small a heart. And I just thought that was the line of the trial. And I was, as I think most people are, um, gratified that the jury went out and did the right thing and brought back this particular verdict. And I was very impressed yesterday when I was watching CNN um, with the Attorney General of Minnesota and all the people that he brought up and all the things that he said. And they did a great job. They did a great job. Does it mean that the world has changed? Not necessarily. It just means that in this particular case, justice was done. And one hopes that when trials like this go on, that justice is done. And that doesn't always mean that people are convicted. Justice turns on the evidence of a trial. And I will get away from this topic and get back to, well, what am I getting back to? Um, so many of you know, and we even got a couple of nice notes about this, uh, that my high school classmate Jimmy Steinman died yesterday. Um, he had been ill for a while. He'd had a stroke some years back. Uh, I got this nice haiku from Shad. He made making out in cars seem like paradise. Thank you, Jim Steinman. And I got this nice note from David Sampson in Westport, Connecticut. I'm sorry to read the passing of Jimmy Steinman. Wanted to send my condolences to you. Having heard you speak of him often, I'm sure you will miss his presence in your life. But knowing his music will live on should bring happiness to you and all of us who have enjoyed it over the years. And then he also writes, too bad he never got the chance to put Louise Gluck's poetry to music. <laughs> Such a shanda, as my mother would have said. That's very funny. It makes me happy. Um, so I have told this story before, and I'll tell it again. My thanks go out to my high school classmates who sent me notes about this, and I sent notes to others. Got a really nice note from Bobby Candell in closing a story in the Washington Post from 1997 that I was quoted in. This was at the time that he and Andrew Steinman and Andrew Lloyd Webber put together a musical called Whistling Down the Wind that did not have much success. But I went to see it and saw Jimmy and got to talk to him for the first time in about 30 years and the last time that I talked to him. I always hoped he would go to reunions, but he was not particularly well enough, physically well enough to do it. Um, my friend David Sonnenberg, who was his manager, 
from Million Years uh, wrote me as I had written him. I knew he knew about it, and I just wanted to send condolences to him, as people have sent them to me. Now, I knew Jimmy Steinman a long time ago. That's a long time ago. We went to high school together. Um, we had lunch together at a place called Hamburger Local. When In my high school, it wasn't particularly cool to go to lunch in the cafeteria. My high school was just a block from um, the commercial center of Hewlett, Long Island, and so people, kids went out. Kids went to the junior, and kids went to the hamburger local, and kids went to, day, to Shores. I mean, they went to a lot of different places to eat. This was what we did in junior high and what we did in high school, because the junior high, again, a block from the middle of downtown Woodmere, and the high school a block from the middle of downtown Hewlett. So people went out, and occasionally Jimmy and I would find ourselves eating lunch together at uh, some place called the Hamburger Local, where the gimmick was at the counter. Um, I don't even know that stores have counters anymore, but in those days, there were stools around a countertop, and the gimmick of Hamburger Local was there was an electric train set that went around this countertop, and so when your hamburger got ready, they put it on a plate on the electric train and drove it to where you were sitting, and you took it off the train and you ate the hamburger. So anyway, and uh, my friend Stephen Pearsall, who was an all-county basketball player, ate there a lot. A lot of people from Hewlett ate there a lot. Didn't eat there all the time. And I didn't eat with Jimmy all the time, but I do remember eating with Jimmy a lot. And thinking that Jimmy Steinman, as I've said many times, was one of the three smartest guys in my high school. We had a lot of people who achieved. We had a lot of people who went to good colleges. We had a lot of smart kids, a lot of smart kids. But in my opinion, we had three that stood out above everybody else. One was Neil Burns, one was Teddy Klein, and one was Jimmy Steinman. And they were none of them the valedictorian or salutatorian. They were not. You know, they were just, as far as I was concerned, the smartest kids. Uh, And Jimmy was one of them. Jimmy played the violin and the cello in high school. Not a lot of people do that. You know, most people are going out for the baseball team. You know, and and Jimmy did this. But But was sports in his family? His older brother, Billy Steinman. It's nice to have a name, last name like Steinman, and you're Children are named William and James. What are we trying for here, kids? Um, yeah. Um, Billy Steinman became, for many, many years, the sports information director at Columbia University, and in his releases, used to use words like lugubrious. He was the smartest sports information director that ever lived, probably. And he was a big sports fan. And Jimmy was a sports fan as well, not a great athlete. Um, but nor was I. Um, and the story that I will tell, and I'll get out of here, was the, the time that I saw Steinman on TV. Like, okay, so you lose touch with people. So we're out of school for, I don't know, almost 10 years. We're out of high school for almost 10 years. I don't know what Steinman's doing. At the time, I'm working at Newsday. I'm a sports writer at Newsday. Uh, It's 1976, maybe, 1975, 76. I think I'm still at Newsday. And, And in those days, because Newsday was an afternoon paper, it meant that most of our work was done at night, and I often worked till 2 or 3 in the morning. So that was a schedule I was on. I was on the sleep late in the morning to 11 or 12 or something like that and then go to work. So I watched in the early days, because it was age appropriate, not now anymore, I watched Saturday Night Live when Saturday Night Live started, when Lorne Michaels had this idea for Saturday Night Live, and he hired Chevy Chase and John Belushi and Gilda Radner and Garrett Morris, and Dan Aykroyd, and Jane Curtin, and Lorraine Newman. 
And that was the first cast. And after the first year, Chevy Chase became such a big star that he left to pursue um, acting ventures on his own. And he was replaced by Bill Murray. And those for the first, I think I'm right, Nigel, for the first three or four years, that was the cast, right? Something yes. like that. Yes, I believe that's Did it right. debut in 1974 or 1975? Somewhere in the mid-70s. And everybody under the age of 30 watched it and talked about it on Sunday and talked about it on Monday. And, and it set the table for what was current in the culture of being young in that particular period of time. So one night, one Saturday night, I'm watching, and I hear this song. I hear it. I'm not looking at the television. I'm looking somewhere else. And I hear this song, which is two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. And I go, wow, that's, why, why does that sound familiar to me? Why do I think, why do I think this is written for me? Why do I think this is written? And I had these thoughts go through my head. And I think it was two out of three ain't bad. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was it. It was not Paradise by the Dashboard Light. It was two out of three ain't bad. I thought, wow, this is, this is written for somebody in high school. It's a high school song, right? And I look up at the television set, and in one of the shots, they show a guy with long hair playing one of those portable keyboards. You know, the, the one layer, not the two or three layer, layer portable keyboards. And I go, oh my God. I actually didn't say, oh my God. I said something that I don't say on the air. <laughs> And it was these two words. And then I went, that's Jimmy Steinman. That's Jimmy Steinman. And he was, I later found out, the writer, the architect. I mean, he and Meatloaf himself were, you know, best pals at the time. And he wrote all these songs from Meatloaf's voice, which was a Wagnerian sort of voice, an operatic sort of voice. And then he did all the layering of the production. Steinman did all that. That's the dog, if you can hear Chessie barking at dogs outside. And Steinman did all the layer, and he went, he went on, obviously, to write great songs for other people other than himself and Meatloaf and produce great songs for other people other than himself and Meatloaf. But I, saw, I went, oh, my God, it's Steinman. And I began calling. I mean, it's very late at night. It's midnight. I began trying to call people until I realized you just can't call people at this hour. They're going to think something terrible has happened. So I found out, you know, I did all the reading I could the next day and found out the sort of history of Meatloaf. And they had met. I mean, Steinman was very theatrical and I think was involved with Joseph Papp, who was putting on plays in Central Park in the 1970s. I thought he, that's what he wanted to do. And ultimately, he wrote plays. Obviously, he wrote large musicals. He did that. But he also wrote all the songs for Bat Out of Hell, which I believe, Nigel, remains one of the 10 or 20 best-selling albums of all time. Of all time. Um, and then he went on to do, um, his most famous one, obviously, is the Bonnie Tyler song, right? Yes. Isn't that totally clips of the heart? I think that's, that's right. the one that people talk about all the time. But he did songs with Celine Dion and he did songs with Air Supply and he did, you know, he, he did a lot of songs that were produced in that sort of I'm the child of Phil Spector style. And, and so, although I hadn't, I'd seen him once, honestly, once in the last 50 years, you know, or more than that. But like you do with people in your high school who've done well, you keep tabs on them. You want to know what's going on with them. 
Um, and Steinman at one point was on the Imus show in the morning. Um, he became Imus, found out that Steinman listened to his show and put him on a couple of times. He lived, you know, I know the song Bat Out Hell, but he actually lived sort of like a bat. I mean, he lived in the middle of the night. He did not, he was, there was no sun on his face or in his life. He was, he was living in the middle of the night with strange hours and strange habits. There is a story that my friend Bobby Candell sent to me from the Washington Post in 1997. You should read it. If you get a chance, just Google it. It's, it's, it's a big piece about Steinman. And it did run in the Washington Post. And it's just fabulous. And it, it just explains the quirkiness of his life and, and probably how smart he is. So I wanted to just do that a little bit today. And I'll get off the air now, as far as that goes. And we will have the regular show that we normally have. And Liz Clark, am I right, will join us when we return? Liz That's Clark, right. yes? Yes. Great. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. April means a lot of not-so-fun things, getting fooled, getting rained on, getting your taxes done. So if you need a positive experience to balance it all out, consider protecting your loved ones by getting life insurance with Policy Genius. Policy Genius can help you compare top insurers in one place and save 50% or more on life insurance. Once you find your best option, the Policy Genius team We'll set up your new policy for you and answer any questions you have. Just go to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes to find your best price. Since their licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies, there's zero hassle. If you hit any speed bumps during the application process, Policy Genius will take care of everything. The best part, all the benefits of Policy Genius, the comparison tool, the handling of the paperwork, the unbiased advice, they're totally free to use. Policy Genius can promise that you won't leave their website feeling like a fool. Good, because I leave virtually every website that I accidentally log on to feeling like a fool. <laughs> you can save 50% or more by comparing life insurance quotes and feel good knowing that if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. So go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Jim Lipson sending this in. Greetings, salutations, and indeed what a long, strange trip it's been. Since our last encounter, the Wayback Machine has retired the name to honor the passing of our co-founder, guitarist, singer, and Duke alum, Thomas Franklin Woolley, known to most, of course, by his stage name, Tom Woolley. Now performing his Wayback and Friends, we just played at a benefit put together by Tom's friend, Rich Hopkins, attached to a couple of tunes from his great band, Rich Hopkins and the Luminarios. I'm sure Rich, a big fan of old-school Laker legend Gail Goodrich, will take it as a great compliment when I say he's one of the loudest guitarists I've ever heard. But since meeting and marrying his wife and musical partner Lisa Novak, who, by the way, wrote the first tune and co-wrote the second, we've been treated to a more kinder and gentler version of the band. This is called Keep Shining, and the name of the band is Rich Hopkins and the Luminarios. They'll play twice for us today, and they play in Liz Clark. And the reason, it's always a pleasure to have Liz on the show, but the reason I wanted to talk to her was she wrote this very, very interesting story that ran in the Washington Post the other day about the sort of death of the male gymnastic programs in college all over the country. And she talked specifically about the University of Minnesota. Can you just outline basically what, what your story was about, please? 
Sure, and thanks for having me. It's such a joy to hear your voice and be with you guys. So um, the University of Minnesota was one of only 14 remaining Division I uh, schools that competed in men's gymnastics. And and last September, um, its athletic director announced that it would be cutting that program and three others because of the pandemic squeezing revenue and, you know, alluded to Title IX concerns. Um, and Iowa did much the same. So the the narrow nut of the story is that men's gymnastics is just going to have 12 programs across the country in D1 and only five in the Big Ten, which was the, the crowning achievement. But it was put in the broader context of you know, a a long trend of uh, the disappearing, whether you say non-revenue sports or Olympic sports in Division One, as universities push more and more revenue into the sports that make them money, and it just seems a, a kind of self-fulfilling promise. Uh, um, a situation if you spend money on football and men's basketball because they make money. You know, if 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 revenue is your only, if that's your North Star, if that's your only metric, mm-hmm. which works mm-hmm. in the business world, but really should not be the North Star in higher education, um, your other sports become irrelevant, um, either irrelevant to you or in in some mindsets, a drain on what you're trying to accomplish. So that implicates tennis, golf, um, you know, rowing, wrestling, a, a whole host of sports, and their numbers are dwindling. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's a concern for future Olympic teams for the U.S. because we don't have a federal government that trains athletes like many other, like most other countries. Universities serve that purpose. Um, but to me, it raises huge ethical questions and philosophical questions about what are universities for. When most of us think of gymnastics, we think of the Olympics and we think of women's gymnastics. Are women's gymnastics programs being cut in the same number as men's? No. Generally, all the non-revenue sports I mentioned, quite often when the cuts are made, only the men's side is cut. Like men's tennis we're cutting, but we're going to keep women's tennis. Um, is that because of gonna, Title IX? That, is that Title it, ostensibly, you know, that's what is yeah. cited, but I think right. that is quite a smokescreen or that's... It's not as facile an argument, but um, there's a big difference in uh, the end game of the Olympics as it relates to gymnastics, because women, of course, um, are at their peak at a much, much younger, younger. age than men. Yeah. So yep. college is is not the path for female gymnasts. Sometimes it's their path after the Olympics, which is totally cool because they enjoy themselves. But, you know, if you're not... Um, training kind of full-time at age 12, 13, 14, 15 as a female gymnast, you're not going to make the Olympics. Yeah, what I was going to say is there are a number of, for Olympic sports, there are Mm -hmm. a number of, for lack of a better term, academies where prodigies go. And they go in tennis and they go in gymnastics and they go in swimming. And, you know, so, I mean, it's not one and one is two. It is not if you cut these sports in college, you will lose all the Olympians because sure. that that's not necessarily true. I wanted to get to Title Nine. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to have like a bloodbath on this, but I have we always won't. been of the opinion that football should be exempted. You know that mm. you just you, you should yeah. 
leave football out of this equation and then go one for one. And I think mm-hmm. a lot more sports would be saved. Is there anything to that argument that you agree with? And feel free to disagree. Oh, I always feel free. Thank you, though, for reminding me. Um, Intellectually, it's perfectly sound. Um, I don't know practically if that would ever be done. But, Mm -hmm. um, but of course, it makes sense. You take football out, and then you apply fairness or equity or whatever is your, you know, your goal here to to all the others. Makes perfect sense. I think... You know, I would go at it a different way, and this okay. is probably a not popular way. But, but to me, having covered an NFL team for eight years and having written also about some of the issues in college sports um, back in the day and, and, and occasionally now, um, I have never understood why the NFL um, – well, let me put it the other way. I've never understood why college football rosters are 110, 120 yeah. players yeah. when yeah. the NFL caps it at 53. Now, today, in today's world of college sports, having recently covered the Washington football team, you know, any Big Ten football program has a far nicer locker room, has a far nicer um, indoor practice facility, probably has a bigger coaching staff, has a roster more than twice the size of of the the NFL team that I covered. I mean, by leaps and leaps and bounds, the money that goes into college football, the excess is preposterous. And if you you cry that um, college football would be worse, nothing would be worse if it's unilateral. If everyone, if the NCAA, if all the FBS schools say, we're capping our rosters at 80, we're going to cap our rosters at 70. You know, I'm not saying go to 53, but that gets you 20, 30 more spots for equity. You know, if, if, if the goal is making the numbers add up, um, or be fair, uh, and, Financially, if you can't do it, I mean, this is my idea. Nobody's, I, I haven't read anybody say this. Obviously, universities are training NBA players and NFL players. That's everybody knows that. Sure. Um, sure. So why, why can't the NFL and the NBA in Give them some money. Huh? Give them some money. Yeah, give them yeah, some money. But, yes. But sure. no, give them money at not not to be their training ground, give them money. Say, we're going to endow X number of women's sports. We're going to endow Olympic sports. I mean, I just don't believe that you, you achieve equity by taking away opportunities. I mean, that you, you don't subtract your way to fairness, you know? So if you're going to have 110 roster spots, you know, don't make the NFL pay for those, make them pay for, for the, the other sports. Interesting. Um, let, let me let me stay with money for a second because yeah. I think I think in your piece because it jumped out at me. I hope I'm right on this. Mm-hmm. You said that to pay for a men's gymnastics program over the course of a year would cost seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Was that the figure you used? Yeah, that's, that's the closest figure I could get to what seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Let let me be very clear on this. That is the same cost as renovating bathrooms in one dorm at a college campus. It is nothing. On the greater budget line, it is absolutely nothing. It's nothing, $750,000. How can the, the amount of money that colleges charge students, how can they not find $750,000? 
No, it is so true. And, and we haven't even talked about the millions that are spent buying out um, football coaches and sure. staff, sure. you know, because they, they should have never been hired in the first place or they did something egregious. So, I mean, the amount of money just to the wind is, is appalling, too. Um, so, yeah, to, to go with that, it's like the rationale for cutting these sports – it's a moving target. If you go at the money, they're like, well, you know, Title IX is a problem. You know, if you go at that, it's like, well, the pandemic is really a problem. You know, so they're making these permanent decisions. Like these, these opportunities, these teams are going away, never coming back, um, based on temporary things, the pandemic, or, or things that you can work around or with, with fresh eyes. If you do an honest accounting of, what do we value? What is our mission? What is our goal? You know, you would do things differently. It, you know, it's not that their hands are tied. And it, it, Minnesota cutting all three of these sports, they, they decided to cut three rather than four, um, that nets them a savings of $1.6 million, which It's not enough money. Peanuts. That's like the raise of your football coach that year. It's, it yes. doesn't move yes. the needle. Their budget for the athletics department is 130 million. And I really should say that Minnesota is one of the more kind of modest and responsible uh, of the Big Ten programs. I mean, the numbers are, are even more eye-popping at Iowa and Ohio State. You know, I mean, you know this intuitively as it relates to building the football machine. You know, and to me, this will sound very Pollyanna, but, but I, I think it's an apt comparison. It's not that much different than a university president saying, you know, look, we're looking at, at our university budget, and clearly our professors in sciences and engineering are bringing us all the research grants. They're, they're bringing in the money. And, and our graduates that are business majors and pre-law, they're really donating all the money. So I think those are the four majors we're going to go with, you know, and we, we really don't need to be offering this English and this philosophy, these classics yeah. nonsense. And, you know, that's what you're ostensibly about. And that is what uh, a sports athletics department is ostensibly about, you know, catering to the broad based, um, you know, pursuits, interest you know, of, of your student body. And, and of course I know it's now a money printing machine and a marketing animal, but just because they've lost their, they've become unmoored, you know, from what they're about doesn't mean it's not a conversation worth having. It just reminds me of the great line that my friend, the president of Binghamton University, Harvey Stenger once said to me, he was announcing all of this money that was going into a pharmacology department. You know, because that was going to bring a lot of students in, and that was sure. that was an opportunity for Binghamton to get its name recognized. And I said, "Well, I was an English major. What about English majors?" And he said, "English majors." <laughs> said, "You just sit in a dark room and read. Stop. We don't have to do anything for you." So, you know, I mean, the the, yes! the priorities, you know, the priorities of these schools. I'd hate to think, and I'll ask you this: mm. I'd hate to think that the Ivy League schools, with the enormous endowments, or mm. the Texas's or the Stanford's, mm. you know, of the world with enormous endowments. Are they doing this too? Stanford they sports cut too? 11 sports this year. They cut the most of any. Now, it should be said that Stanford sponsored the most of any. Right. I mean, right. I, I don't know that that's 
perfectly true. I know Texas, I think of Texas, Ohio State, Stanford, back in the day, you know, maybe 20 years ago, sponsoring the most sports. And you were you got a special award for excellence across sports. I think they had like 30-some sports, maybe more, that they sponsored, um, meaning they fielded teams in, varsity teams in. And they cut 11 this year. Um, and uh, – so, so, yeah, there's a real – just because the endowment of the university is big doesn't mean mm-hmm. um, that translates to priorities in the athletics department. So it's, to me, it's like a, a moral, ethical discussion and because it's being uh, – the decisions are being made strictly out of a business imperative. I'm so happy when you're on the show. It's such a good story. Oh. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> Well, thank, thank you. you. Um, it's great to talk with you. Have a good good day. Bye-bye. Liz Clark, boys and girls. You go back and read the story. It's available at the Washington Post. So, honestly, $750,000 funds this team for the whole year. In a, in, a, in a budget for a state university, it's just nothing. That could fall through the cracks. That could be, you could find that much behind the cushions of the couch at a state university. Just totally crazy. We will take a break. When we come back, we will, I will attempt to do something stupid on my part, which is to wade into this big soccer story, knowing nothing about soccer. But we will have Taylor Twellman on, who's actually very good. And if he doesn't make fun of me, maybe we can get something accomplished. But if I were he, I'd make fun of me. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Brooklyn and Ed. Not sure about you, but I'm taking a rain check on spring cleaning this year. Freshen up for the season with comfort instead with sheets, towels, loungewear, and more from Brooklinen. I've spent my own, you know what? There are commercials that we read um, that I'm not particularly attached to and commercials that we read that I am attached to. Uh, And usually that attachment is about the money that I've spent on my own for these products, which I have done with Brooklinen and which I heartily recommend. With their birthday sale happening this weekend, Brooklinen is offering site-wide savings on all things comfort for their biggest sale of the year. Brooklinen, as everybody knows, was founded by Rich and Vicky. I love when they put their names in here. The goal was to create beautiful luxury home essentials at prices that didn't break the bank. They work directly with manufacturers. This ensures premium high-quality comfort every time at a fraction of the retail price. It means ridiculously soft bedding, towels, and loungewear, and they've got 75,000 five-star reviews. Get everything you need for a spring refresh during Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year. Shop the Brooklinen birthday sale, which starts this weekend, and if you're listening to this podcast after the sale ends, don't worry. You can still go to brooklinen.com, use the promo code TONY to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. That's Brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K, L-I-N-E-N dot com. Enter the promo code Tony to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. And as we say all the time, use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is the band Rich Hopkins and the Luminarios. This is called Always Away. This is really good. This, is, this yeah. stuff is good. Michael, if, if people want to send in original music, as we ask for all the time, that you can hear in its entirety without me tracking over it at the end of the show, 
How do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornizershow.com. We ought to get the copy of this album. This is really good. Taylor Twelman joins us now from ESPN. And those of you who've listened to me, even for a little while, know that I know absolutely nothing about soccer. I am not critical of it other than, you know, the people who tell you it's a novella every time up and down the field, and I've had enough of them. But, you know, I watch the World Cup like other people watch, and I don't know much, and I stay away from it. Something happened this week that was sort of volcanic in soccer, and Taylor has been on. He's not only really good on other shows, he's actually been on our show, which makes me know that he's really good. Could you describe what, what the aim of the Super League was and your immediate reaction when you heard about it? Tony, I wasn't surprised. And the reason why is this rumor has been floating around for, say, the last 40, you could even probably say 50 years. And it comes really? about every four or five years when UEFA are having their conversations about revenue distribution. And these quote-unquote super clubs feel like that Champions League is nothing without them, which I think all of us would agree on the surface, sure, absolutely. But, Tony, where the American sports fan doesn't understand is that when you finish in your domestic league in your top three, top four, that's what that is. That's for the Champions League revenue, which is roughly right now immediately over $100 million before you even play a game in the following Champions League season. Now, the Super League is saying, well, no, 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 no. We, we don't, we're not going to worry about the 100 years of tradition in the domestic leagues. We're not going to worry about the hundreds of years that the fans within their supporters groups have built these clubs. We believe that we're entitled for that revenue, and someone was willing to pay, J.P. Morgan in this sense, $4 billion up front to these 12 clubs to play in this Super League over mm -hmm. the Champions League. Now, the problem is all the domestic leagues, Tony, immediately were like, nope. You can't do that. And then when UEFA said, you know what, players are not allowed to play in any kind of international competition, that's where this thing, is. to take your word, became volcanic because then all of a sudden the players are like, wait a minute here. Now you're taking our future into your hands, and not a single one of these owners ever consulted the players, which says a lot about what they think about their players, their employees, but most importantly their supporters. So let me get to a couple of things that, that I thought of. Yeah. One is my first reaction was that UEFA and FIFA were doing this out of peak because they were afraid that they were losing control of, of the golden calf that they had milked for 50 years. And the second thing was this felt very American to me. It felt like entrepreneurship. And it felt like something we would do in the United States without ever thinking twice. And I wonder if, if that speaks to what you're suggesting, that there is a different mindset in Europe than in the United States. Absolutely, Tony. But most importantly, what people need to realize is that do you find, nobody should find it ironic that these super clubs announced it, what, maybe six weeks after the NFL announced their TV deal? See, when they saw the oh. NFL was at $100 billion, immediately mm -hmm. they were like, wait a minute here. That, our sports exponentially greater than that sport. But this is how short-sighted they are. We're the only country that plays American football. So why would you yeah. think this could outdo that? And that's where you hit the nail on the head. That's the American way of looking at it. However, Tony, I'm going to throw a curveball to anyone listening. 
the front team and the front owner for all of this was Real Madrid. And that's where everyone in and around soccer like myself are still asking questions. Well, wait a minute here. This is an American idea that was primarily driven from, by the way, Woodward, who was just fired as chairman of Manchester United, who used to work for J.P. Morgan. I don't find that ironic at all. But now all of a sudden, Real Madrid's the front people for this. They're the front men. But this is strictly because they saw the NFL at $100 billion and said, wait a minute, how are we not getting a piece of that pie? And yet they just completely forgot about the integrity of the sport and, most importantly, the integrity of the competition. So they had teams from England, very famous teams from England, the Manchester teams, the Liverpool team, very famous. They had teams from Spain, they had a team or two from Italy, but they had nothing from Germany. They had nothing from France. Did they do this prematurely? Would it have been a success if they had those other two countries as well? Yeah, but you would have never gotten Germany. And they were still holding out to get Germany. And the reason why, it's called the 50 plus one ownership. The supporters own the team, Tony. Oh, okay. So it's like Green Bay. Yes, okay. absolutely, okay. right? So, so, the, so the Bayern Munichs, the Leipzigs, and the Borussia Dortmunds of the world, they never were going to get them. Now, Paris is the kicker because Paris has secretly and unsecretly funded UEFA for multiple different deals. And so because of how large that number is for UEFA, Paris was never going to join in either because if they did, then UEFA is broken. Now, I find it unbelievably ironic that now UEFA and FIFA are our high moral ground. I know I'm going down a rabbit hole, <laughs> yeah. but... <laughs> yeah, but I would agree with that. Come on. Right? Like, you know, like they... all of a sudden now they're the moral ground. So, like, either option wasn't working. It's just for what it meant to the fans and to the towns, Tony, it was very, very short-sighted. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that, but I just would make this comment that... that... If you look at UEFA and FIFA, that's the NCAA here, and then they don't get the moral high ground. They have proven over a long period of time they're just taking money out. They're not, they, we're not even going to listen to them. Um, I was amazed, and I, I use that word honestly, amazed. Heads of state got involved in this, Taylor. Heads yep. of state. The prime minister of France, or maybe he's the president, the prime minister of England, they were outraged by this. Um, did that surprise you at all? No, because that's how deeply rooted promotion relegation is, Tony. And I heard the best analogy in the world. It's like telling a factory worker he could never be a doctor. And that's what this was. Now, us Americans, and Tony, I love American sports leagues more than anything, but I play the sport, and I played the sport. That's the number one sport in the world, so I understand both. However, in America, Tony, when you really look at how we reward teams for losing, we reward mediocrity. You go 2-14 and 14 in the NFL, and guess what you get? The number, number two one draft pick. pick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. so, Tony, when you try to look at the, 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 the uh, foreigner in sport, can't grasp that. Because everywhere else around the world, you lose, you pay for that. And it goes directly into the revenue within the town. It goes directly. You lose your job when you're relegated. And you could be a ticket salesman. You could be merchandise. You can do whatever you want. Your bar is not going to get the same amount of money if you get relegated. It's, and that's why you saw so many legal people and literally elected congressmen and women come out and say, no, 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 you're out. No, this is not how, we, this, is not how this works. So... That it didn't surprise me, but I think it's a rude awakening to us Americans how we look at sports 
which has primarily always been entertainment, and then you look at sport around the world, uh-uh, it's a livelihood. So one of the things I guess I didn't understand and I don't understand is the point was made, if you do this, if you create this super league, you will hurt the national leagues. And I didn't really understand that because they were still going to play the yep. national league's schedule. Could you explain that to me? Uh, I, I, was, I, I don't think they could do that. Now, I, I thought it was very interesting that FIFA was going to jump in and say they can't play in a UEFA competition, which I thought was interesting. And UEFA could ultimately, from what I've gathered from sport lawyers and whatnot, Tony, that UEFA could have said, you know what, you can't play in UEFA European Championships, which we have on ESPN this summer, and you can't mm -hmm. play in UEFA World Cup qualifiers. But no, Tony, I, I don't think they could. But the players, all it took, and this is where us Americans would have said, well, no, the union can come together. The problem is, Tony, you don't have a union for the players because of all the different work labor laws in all these different countries. The players can't come together and form a union. But if all the players came out, which they started to yesterday and said, uh-uh, we're not doing it, then Tony had had no ground. And I think eventually the owners came to their wits and looked at the, the, not only from the fans, but then started to hear from their players and managers like Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola saying the players aren't going to do this. Then I said, that's why, I mean, sure, Tony, it lasted 48 hours. <laughs> are, you are you telling me that, that these teams went into this Super League and did not consult their employees, the players? They did not speak really? to a single player nor manager. <sighs> oh, well, Think that's... of that. Let alone, so, okay. they didn't even hire a PR manager. They could have so, used let, let one, me go, you know, Let me go back to what you started with, that, that this has been talked about for 40 or even as much as 50 years. Okay, the, the great line is, you know, if you take a shot at the king, you bet not, best not miss. And they missed. Will this ever happen again? Oh, yeah. It's coming. It's coming. It, it will. So, yeah, okay. they're just going to find a different way to figure this out and come together. Now, is it going to be of the nature of what this is? It can't. Because now you're going to, yeah, a lot of these English fans are going to be asking for these heads on a platter and especially the American ones, because the concept was such an American idea that it is going yeah. to be very, very difficult for them to forgive John Henry, the Glazier family. And it's just not, it's just, it, it's going to be very difficult, very, very difficult for them to, you know, try to come together. However, this idea has been around and the rumor's been around. This is the furthest it's ever gone, but it's not dead. It's not dead because it tells you that some broadcasters zone J.P. Morgan came together and came up with about $60 billion to give to these 12 clubs, Tony. Wow. Wow. Right? So yeah, I was going to say, if I, if, I owned, if I owned ESPN, Taylor, I would have put a bid in for this, too. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I would have done it. Of course I would have done it. It's interesting because it, it, it did feel American to me, and, and we've just seen in golf what golf, in yes. order to blunt this league funded by the Saudis, is just going to start paying golfers. Just hand the money. You stay here, and here's a bunch of money for you. And that's how we, in America, that's how we do things. We do it with money, and you're saying in Europe, it, it, as much money as they make, it's just not only about money. Yeah, you've got to earn it. But, Tony, great. I, I love the fact you brought up the PGA Tour. That money's going to go to the same six, eight guys anyways. Yeah. So like, but they're going to so, but, keep them away from the that, other thing. Like, Wait a minute. Yeah, so you get them away from the Saudi League. Sure, okay, right. I get that. But right. what are you basically saying to everyone else? You and I both know there's only one golfer that's ever moved the meter. 
Tiger. Only one. That's it. Right? That's and it. so Tiger's not playing. I get it. But you're announcing a $40 million fund for those that moved the meter. Well, no, you're not. You're just saying that we're, we're announcing a fund of $40 million to the top eight guys so you don't get just, – just be a little bit more transparent on it. Because what happens think, if, like, a, a golfer that's ranked 138th in the world has, like, a GameStop moment, and their Twitter goes wild, and their Instagram goes wild, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, whoa. You just rigged the system, didn't you, on who's more, tra- on who's more yeah. moving the meter? I just find that a little odd myself. This has been fun. Thank you for indulging the fact that I know nothing about soccer, and thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it, Taylor. Thank that you. makes two of us, Tony. <laughs> Taylor Twelman, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Um, we've had him on, on PTI, and he explains the world, uh, a world that, that I don't understand, that Wilbon, of course, claims to understand because he's been to one Premier League game, so he thinks he knows it. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Michelob Ultra Read. In sports, if you think joy only happens after you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning and that joy is the whole game, not just the end game. In my life as a sports writer and somebody on television, I can think of two teams that exemplified this more than others. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression because to be a professional athlete means you have to work very, very hard at it. You're in an extraordinarily narrow slice of accomplishment when you reach the pros. But having fun is important as well. I would give you two. I would give you the 2019 Nats who every time they hit a home run, danced in the dugout. And when they danced in the dugout, the camera stayed on them. And it made all of us who rooted for the team very happy. And there was a sidebar to that. If Adam Eaton or Howie Kendrick were involved in a play that resulted in a run, they sat next to each other on the bench, and they did a power shift as if they were driving a car. And that, too, gave them great joy and gave us as viewers great joy. The obvious other example is the 85 Bears, maybe the greatest single-season team in the NFL when they put together the Super Bowl shuffle, and everyone went, oh, my God, you can't do that. That's going to jinx you. you got to keep your nose to the grindstone. But no, they were the best team ever. They went through the playoffs something like 91 to 10. And even Wilbon knows how good they were, and I don't get angry when he says it. So that is the great joy that you can take from sports. Michelob Ultra. 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show.
That is tremendous. That I, I want to I want to have that in my house. That's like that soundscape thing that I listen to. I want that right. to play whenever Tannerini's about to come out of the bullpen. Tannerini stinks. <laughs> um, Walk, triple, sack fly, almost lose the game. Listen, long time, second time. Well, I'm sure you were enjoying some well-earned time off from the attic and PTI. I have to admit how upset I was Wednesday morning when there was no fresh episode of the pod for me to download. What am I to do? Be productive? It was at this point that I realized how much joy you and the gang, even Saliza, no matter what it is he's eating, have brought me over the years. I work in Vancouver, British Columbia as a professional musician, primarily as a trumpeter, but one of my favorite pandemic hobbies has been analog synthesizers. Heard here with the affected flugelhorn, I add parenthetically, I decided that rather listening to the pod whilst browsing emails, I would spend the hour recording my own version of Gary's vaunted mailbag theme as a tribute to Mr. Tony and as an expression of my gratitude to the whole gang. I'm quite certain it isn't your cup of tea. Oh, it is. But it is my hope to be named the official ambient synth lord of the Tony Kornheiser show. Also, tell Michael it rained this morning. This is from Jeremy G. Vint in British Columbia, Vancouver, British Columbia. That is so great. That is just so great. Makes, isn't me, it? Want, makes me want to go to the aquarium, oddly enough. It's just <laughs> great. Yeah, you, you feel like you're in water. Yeah. You feel like you're in water. That's just great. Nigel, do the Bethesda bagel ad, even though you dropped the bagel today. Bethesda, boy, Drop. I tell you, that plain bagel I just ate was fantastic. You can get it, too. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com uh, to find out the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. Here's one of Jimmy Steinman's greatest lyrics, and I'm glad that Nigel put it out today. I couldn't take it any longer. Lord, I was crazy when the feeling came upon me like a tidal wave. I started swearing to my God and on my mother's grave that I would love you till the end of time. I swore I would love you till the end of time. So now I'm praying for the end of time to hurry up and arrive, because if I got to spend another minute with you, I don't think that I could really survive. And I, and I would add, and I'll never break my promise, and I won't break my vow, but God only knows what I could do right now. Oh, boy. That is so good. Uh, thanks to Liz Clark. Thanks to Taylor Twellman. Thanks to our sponsors today, Brooklyn and Policy Genius and Michelob Ultra. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. And that, of course, is the great Meatloaf song um, that Phil Rizzuto is actually on, right? That's, ro that's Phil right. Phil Rizzuto actually speaks on that. Paradise by the Dashboard Life. From Tony Beeson in Cincinnati, Ohio, the Super League debate appears to be one set of billionaires fighting with another set of billionaires over who gets to decide the dessert menu at the end of the year awards banquet. From Alan Higginbottom in Savannah, Georgia, this Saturday, April 24th, in the historic district of Savannah, Georgia, I will be sharing in a nuptial bliss with a woman with whom I will be related to by marriage. It's going to be fabulous. We're going to have Damon and the Kickers play the reception. Playing all your favorite outlaw country tunes. We'll also have fried chicken and a flowing open bar. What could be better? You joining us. It's time for you to make a return trip to the low country anyway, and this time maybe on the other side of the Savannah River. I will even let you stay at my house and use my robe. Just make sure you bring all that extra bourbon you're looking to get rid of. We all are thirsty. Savannah's beautiful, right? Great airport. Yeah, it's just great. Jamie Edwards in Reedfield or Redfield, Maine on the show Friday. Michael mentioned Henry and Walker. I had to pause for a half second and figure out who he was talking about. I honestly forgot that those kids have real names other than Bootsy and Henry the Hammer. Henrietta Esmeralda Corleone Vivace. Yeah, that's, that's Dan Byrne. That's the name of it. That's Dan Byrne. Uh, from Martha DeGarmo. I enjoyed watching PTI nightly with my husband, and he loves your podcast and listens to them every week. I just heard you say that you enjoy ironing. I love ironing, which is how I learned to iron from my mother years ago. I think it's so cool you enjoy this task. Keep ironing, Tony. It's a lost art. I didn't think of it as art. 
I thought of it as being practical, but, but yes. But no starch for you, right? No starch. I, I just like to iron because that, that which you are trying to accomplish is accomplished quickly. And, and you did it yourself. It's, it's good. And it's usable. It has a secondary function. From Chris Foster in Midland, Texas, formerly El Paso. Fun fact, this is about the giant rabbits. They measure giant rabbits, known here in Texas as jackalopes. Never heard that word. With a rope and a yardstick. Possibly a meter <laughs> stick since they use the metric system. And he's the official Subaru sales rep of this show. How big are these rabbits? It's just gigantic. And this is from, um, from Jack in Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay, I confess, I took the giant rabbit. Sincerely, Yosemite Sam. Um, Adam McCaslin in Mattoon, Illinois, on Friday's show, when the size of the stolen rabbit was revealed to be four feet, three inches, you said, that's like an elephant. Well, the Asian elephant can be 20, 18 to 21 feet long and about 10 feet tall. So close. Maybe you were absent the day your biology for non-science majors class cluttered that subject. That's the elephant of rabbits, pal. That's what that is. Uh, from Andrew Vogley in Hermosa Beach, California. First time, long time. Since you are a doctor who is better suited to design a series of cognitive tests to definitely answer, are you smarter than a dog? The boys seem better at abstaining from sports frisbees, but it's even odds on what would happen if you left a bag of candy in a room before bedtime. A wilderness survival test surely can gauge the street smarts of your subjects. Other tests could focus on listening comprehension, perhaps by gauging their ability to sit, stay, or lie down on command, kinetic knowledge through some sort of agility or physical challenge, and emotional intelligence. Who knows when you're happy, sad, or angry? Those are mere humble suggestions because you are the expert after all. On an unrelated note, are you in the market for a my dog is smarter than your honor roll student bumper sticker? <laughs> I've seen those. I've seen those. Also, I have a petition for you. I have a PhD in aerospace engineering from the University of Maryland specializing in computation fluid dynamics of rocket flows and work as a fluid dynamics engineer analyzing rocket launch vehicles used by the United States Space Force. I do a podcast. I'm so dumb compared to this fella. <laughs> I'm available to answer any questions on deflated footballs, aerodynamics of golf balls, or how planes actually fly. Thanks to you and the crew, even Saliza, for years of laughter and entertainment. Give my best to Michael and the boys. Now, the big test will be who eats the first cicada. Yeah, Ooh, would it be yes. the dog or would it be Bootsy or the hammer? Uh, Bob Boxwell in Lusby, Maryland, checking on the weather for Kevin. Maybe I can make a suggestion for you and Chessie. Edible Frisbees, one's meant to be digested. That way you probably wouldn't need to feed her twice a day, just trying to be helpful since it appears you need it, are from Rich Johnson in Las Vegas. Permit me to take a few words to salute my friend and former colleague, Ron Flatter. We love Ron Flatter, who has abandoned me here in Las Vegas for the bluegrass of Louisville, Kentucky, and a gig at the website Horse Racing Nation. Oh, that's good to know. While I've had maybe a half dozen letters make the podcast, Ron beats me with well over a dozen. He also has the distinction of being an impromptu guest one day at Chatter, although he was there because I brought him there. But I claim the mythical championship based on my last letter, which became a show title, Apes Eat Free. So eat it, flatter, which is nice. From Ron St. Amant, our friend in Toronto. Did I hear Saliza say he married into the Lego business like he married into the mafia? He does, he does realize it doesn't end well for Carlo, right? Yeah, you know. it doesn't. Um, here's a haiku from Shad. Pray their cicadas, otherwise they're breathing holes for snake colonies. When when are we seeing the cicadas? It's all about the ground temp, right? I don't know how it works. Uh, from Rob Drujetsky, 
You're right about it being the best, The Godfather. So good, I made my wife go with me to Southern Sicily so I could take The Godfather tour. The cafe, the restaurant, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Thursday. Uh, cafe, restaurant, etc. Payback was the next year to Southwestern England to take the Doc Martin tour. Um, Dan Walsman in Damascus, Maryland. How is it possible that Greg Garcia has won the brackets twice, knowing nothing about the teams against professionals like Pat Forty, Steve Sands, and Spike Braun? Does that mean we should start taking parenting advice from Lace, actually listening to Chuck Todd's and Jeff Ma's pick, or Chuck Wells' weather report? Um, also, the hammer is definitely smarter than Chessie. He doesn't sniff other dogs' butts, eat grass, and drop dead rabbits on your porch. This reminds me, because it mentioned, it mentioned Greg. So I will just say this in closing, and this is about Steinman. I've said this a lot about Greg. Greg was our original board up, and Greg was tremendous, and Greg was really funny, and Greg was really bright and creative. And did I think he was special? Yes. Did I think he would have this kind of career? No, I did not. Because his career is, is at the top of the charts with the stuff that he has created. Did I see that coming? No. The only people you see this coming with, the only people, really are, are athletes or math majors. You know, when somebody gets an 800 on the college boards in math, you go, oh, that guy's really smart. He'll probably be something. Or you have an athlete in your school, and by the time he's in high school, he's better than everybody else in the county. You go, well, this guy will really be something. It's the same with Steinman. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the, you know, to the beginning of this show. When I saw him on television, uh, he, became, he was a rock star. Did I see that coming? No. No. Did I think he was really smart and really talented? Yes. Did I see that coming? No. No, no, no. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. What a waste of time. God. She sits and stares at her bedroom window. Daydreaming about a dream house days are gone. The life they built began to crumble long before. She wants to stop this starting offer Move too many places to count She's gonna stay beside the ocean She can't ride the waves of grief With the beast only
But all of the time